Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. All right, folks. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bucks of America podcast. I am I am your host Jeff Vance here, and tonight's guest is from North Dakota. We I, I found him on Facebook, and he was talking. And he, what caught my eye was I was target helping his son target practice for an upcoming bird hunt, and uh, I thought it was really special to be able to start your get a, getting a child that young into it and begin establishing addiction so early on in and in, in, in their lifestyle because you know it's like you get them addicted to hunting you, you, they'll never have money for anything else and it's a true story too i do i fish and hunt so i never have money for much for anything else but uh, i have justin fiskajan here and we're going to actually talk a little bit about um what kind of morals that uh, and and uh, the disciplines that hunting really establishes in a young person's life. Because it's like, I have a daughter, as, as most of you know, and, and Justin here has a son. And I think we want to talk, I think I want him to take over and allow him to open up himself to the audience here and talk about what got him hooked to the, the outdoors with his father and his other role models in his life. So, Justin, man, why don't you start taking take it from here? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah, as as a youngster, I mean, before I was even capable of really registering what was going on, you know, I was pretty young. My dad had my brother and I out in the in the Badlands in North Dakota, taking you know, set up a blanket on top of the yeah. hill. We'd sit there and have a little picnic and watch big mule deer and stuff come out of the draws. Uh, ever since I was old enough to crawl, he had us in the outdoors, and some of my fondest memories as a child were were hunting with dad and you know, really anticipating that day that I was going to be old enough to, to be the one doing the hunting, which we lived in Wyoming. Uh, we, we moved to Wyoming when I was only a couple of years old and, and I got to tag along with dad as he shot a, a giant mule deer down there one year. And, and I yeah. got to watch my brother as he turned 12 years old before I did. And I got to tag along with both of them as, as they got to pursue his first year. There's a bunch of adventures and stuff that we went on as, as kids. And, Unfortunately for me, we moved back to North Dakota right before I turned 12 and you had to be 14 to hunt here, you know, start right. Oh man. So I, my brother hit it perfect. He was turning 14 when we moved up here. So he got to hunt there for two years and right back into it here. I kind of okay. got the short end of the stick. And, uh, ultimately I think it was kind of a blessing in disguise because that first, uh, that first year that we were up here, my parents got me a bow for Christmas. Because I was okay. old enough to bow hunt, but not rifle hunt, and that just opened up a whole new can of worms for me. We lived out in the in the country, so I took my bow and my arrows, and I'd go, you know, stalk porcupines or squirrels or rabbits or whatever I could find up into the hills. And I spent a ton of my time up there, you know, as a as a youngster, you know, learning how to shoot, learning patience and discipline, and and one one lesson that that I learned real quick too is that. I was really proud. I shot a squirrel once, you know, small, that's still impressive, small target, you know, and I was shooting fingers instinctive, all that stuff. I was so proud to bring it back and show my dad. So I lugged it back to the house. One of my first ever kills. And I laid it out there, said, dad, look at this. I'm so proud. I got this squirrel. And he's like, Oh, great job, son. And he's like, now get your knife out and, and clean it. And I said, what? I said, I'm not eating a squirrel. He's like, you kill it. You eat it. That's, you know, that's, what you do as a hunter like you don't just kill animals for fun so i got a little taste of humble pie there and i ended up cooking the squirrel over a fire i built in the driveway of my parents house it covered <laughs> covered it in barbecue sauce and bacon bits to force myself to choke it down and to this day i'll never forget that and it, uh -huh. it's just like you said some of the morals it instills in you uh the respect for the animals um the the patience um stuff like that stuff that at a, at a young age I, I learned to deal with pretty well and it definitely made me the hunter i am today and the other part of it was man some of those memories that i had with my dad he was you know always working really hard to provide for our family spent a ton of time at work 
So when we did have those opportunities to spend time together, and a lot of times it was out hunting or doing something Mm -hmm. that revolved around hunting, I cherished that time with my dad. I mean, I always looked up to him and I still do. He's still what I consider to be my best friend. And and we kind of had that turnover a little bit now to where I'm taking dad out. You know, it's not dad taking me out anymore. You know, I, I got more time to invest now. So we've had a, a an awesome run like the last six or seven years out in Montana. I've, I've kind of taken him with me on, we have like an annual rifle on out there where I take dad and I film him and, and he's the one that's doing the hunting and, and we've killed a deer every year. And man, those memories, they're, they're just priceless to me. And to be able to start doing that with my own son now is it's pretty, yeah. pretty awesome experience. That is pretty exciting. So like, why don't you touch base like with that uh, that you said you got you got a piece of humble humble plot pie yeah. when you shot your squirrel? But what were other what was one of the other major lessons that you learned during that uh, experience? Well, like I said, definitely uh, definitely humbled me quite a bit. And the biggest thing that, that that I learned was that's when it separated you know killing from hunting. You know, you can go okay. out and kill stuff. But when you're a hunter, you take on, you know, a little bit more of a responsibility and you're, you're indebted to that animal to pay it respect. And, and when you do kill something, it's not just out of fun or joy. Um, obviously, there's there's certain things that you don't eat, like coyotes, predator control, that sort of thing. But but when it came to that, at an early age, I learned from my dad that, hey, you know, you don't just kill for fun. Like you kill something, you owe it to that animal. Um, you, you kill out of necessity, you kill out of, you know, respect, that sort of thing. So it definitely humbled me quite a bit and um, it just, it just helped me to, to gain more of a respect for the animals that I hunted. It just made me kind of look at it in a different light. You know, to me at that point, it was more of a target than it was, you know, me processing that I was actually taking the life of something. So the, the mm-hmm. respect and the admiration for the animals that we hunt at a very early age, I got to learn that. And I'm glad my dad taught that to me. And I mean, to this day, I mean, if obviously bow hunting, especially, Sometimes you wound an animal and I, I got to tell you, man, it hurts. <laughs> you have so much respect for these animals and, and the time that you put in. Yeah. And when you do make a, you know, a marginal shot or you can't recover that animal and that, that goes back to the first squirrel that I shot. I mean, learning to respect mm-hmm. that animal. And that was a huge thing for me. And the same thing that, that I hope to one day say to my son and my dad and my mom told to me is, I spent so much time hunting as a, as a kid going up, growing up high mm-hmm. school, middle yeah. school and, and stuff like that, that when I graduated, they said, you know, we thought you were a little nutty at times when you were getting up, you know, three hours before it was light out and sitting in the woods all the time and hunting and doing all this other stuff, but they kept you out of trouble, you know, it, and we never had to worry about you partying or, you know, doing drugs or anything like that. Like they were really grateful that I really took that addiction hunting that started at such an early age and ran with it you know and that's especially with today's society i mean go out to a restaurant go out in public and look at the kids i mean they're all glued to an ipad or a phone or something like there's the the discipline and and the respect and that sort of thing like it's it's getting harder and harder to to bring that to the next generation and my son gets very little screen time. He doesn't have an iPad. He doesn't get to sit on the phone or watch, you know, movies or whatever. Um, we're outside playing all the time and he's, he's taken along with me out in the outdoors, setting up blind scouting, uh, fishing, doing, doing stuff in the outdoors like that. And I'm really thankful that that was passed to me so I can pass it to him and, you know, keep him away from being so glued inside to, to technology. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, one thing you mentioned that I really stuck out to me was value, value of life, yeah. because it really sets a precedence in a, in, a, in a young person's mind that when you take a life, it, it, it changes the whole dynamic after that second moment afterwards. And so it really changes your perspective on what you want to do, because there's some folks that uh, just don't have a the, the the value of sense of it, you know, like where they, where they really don't treat their life with value. So therefore, like when we're as a hunter, we value our own lives and our own time. And so like when we take an animal's life, we, we, we make sure we don't uh, go to let it go to waste, but it's like, it really is very impactful because it really sets you apart from the animals to the respectable. 
because there's animals out there. We were all aware of them that have, that go on and, and murder fa- uh, people and stuff like that. And it's like, it's something that we got instilled in a young age. That's like, life is very precious yeah. and it can stop like, like a snap of your yeah. fingers. It's really, really quick. Yeah. And, and then having that slice of humble pie, you learn that it's like, well, Next time, I, 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 if I take my bow off the hanger or if I grab a gun, it's like, and if I discharge, it's like the work truly begins I, right after that. And so it's like you take your, your time very preciously. So when you're going out to do it, you put the measurements in. So this way, then you have proper shot placement. And, and, you, and of course, we, we all, we're all, we're not perfect hunters. And it's like, we, we're bound to lose. I've lost animals. You've yeah. lost animals. And it sucks. Yeah. And it really hurts. And it's like, but it was from that moment that our fathers instilled to us, like, this is this is what you need to do, and it's like it really clicks in your mind that you really gain that respect, that perspective. I think it's the perspective that really leads us into next, and the next because that we we really want to pay attention to what we do on our day to day, and it's like even as a young child, it's like now you're being bombarded with school. Like we grew up in the '90s, so it's like our interaction with devices were very minimal. Yeah. You know, it's like we 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 had. Very little council time. We lived out in the country. And so you really, you take advantage of it. And then as you get older, it's like you move to a city. It's like, man, I kind of miss living in the country. Exactly. That's where I'm at now too. Like I live in an apartment and it's not a huge town by any means, but I'm still only about half an hour from my parents' place out in the country. And me and my son, we, we live out there on the weekends and stuff when I have them. We just love being outside and, and we're not all about that city life. We like being out there where it's a little slower and where we get to run around and you can drive his little uh power wheels vehicles and we can you know he's got his own little bow and obviously we practice quite a bit with the shotgun too but yeah no you touched on a couple great topics there um and that's a great thing to be able to instill in a child especially at an early age they're so impressionable the the respect for those animals and and the discipline to to put in the work and, and not just go straight for the reward i mean he practice and i told him i said buddy i said if you want to do this if you want to go after a turkey you have to practice we're not going unless i feel 100 percent confident you can get it done so we were mm-hmm. we were out there and of course in north dakota between february and now the weather is pretty hit or miss i mean it's it was still snowing a few days ago out here so weather yeah. permitting we we got out as much as we could and and he was putting in the time and the practice and then obviously the patience to wait till season got here, the patience to sit in the blind and wait, you know, for hopefully something to come in. I mean, he did, mm-hmm. he did amazing. And I'm, I'm super, super proud of that. Is, that's really nice. But one thing about like when we have certain setbacks in our life, you know, it's like uh, when you go through divorce or your breakup or something like that, you really kind of get a, it's a slice of your own sense of humble buy. But at that point in time, it really, really gives, gives you a perspective on what you want to do with your life and how you want to get back there. Cause like, Eventually, it would be nice to be back on the country, but it's like, well, now it's like after you learn, as you get older, you learn about the responsibilities of owning a home and everything goes wrong that's on you. And it's like, well, I'm not that not that uh, upset at not owning, a, uh, I'd rather own land than buy own a yeah. house because owning land, I have no real major uptick, upkeep to it except for making sure the brush is cleaned out. <laughs> so it's like it gives you that idea. It's like, well, even though you may, you may be living in a an apartment now but if you as you continue grinding towards your goals that you'll be able to get back out to the country again and so i think that's what comes to our next aspect is goals goal setting because in order for us to do what we want to do we have to hit certain marks for ourselves as an adult because we have to make sure we have a roof over our head food in our belly and go on from there everything else is all fun and play oh absolutely because you were mentioned that you got you and your dad like to go out to Montana, but there's a lot of steps in between setting the date and actually committing yeah. to it. Like, what what was one of the biggest goals you set that that achieved some one a very big reward for? It may not be like a a material item, but an experience that you didn't think you were going to expect. Uh, I guess in my own personal hunting career, a big goal for me was to kill an elk, and they had kicked my butt. I drew a, a once in a lifetime tag in North Dakota, wasn't able to fill my tag. I hunted my butt off. Uh, made a couple trips out to Western Montana to bow hunt them out there too. Got close several times, never, never released an arrow and finally drew a little more of a coveted archery tag. This would have been five or six years ago now, I believe. And this was in Montana as well. And I put in the time once again, finally got an opportunity and, and made a count. I shot a really nice bull at 50 yards with my bow, made a really good shot and watched him, watched him expire. And I uh, I didn't have video of the shot or anything, but I had my camera with me and I pulled it out right after the shot. 
and I had never been that emotional in my life. Like I, I struggled to even find words. I was kind of half crying and pulling my hair out and couldn't believe it and had this squeaky voice. And I, it was the, the, the emotions that came over me after basically like a five or six year long quest to try to kill what was at the time, my dream animal, uh, yeah. That was my goal. I, I wanted to get one so bad when it finally happened, that rush of emotion, all the miles and the blood and sweat and tears that went into it, and the dedication. Yeah. It was pretty uh pretty overwhelming, but it still kinda now pales in comparison to to watching that turkey tip over in front of the blind. No one my three my three year old <laughs> son was the one pulling the trigger. I mean, I'm still kinda at a loss for words really with how everything went down there. I mean, it's one thing to be putting in the work and seeing it practice. And wanting to do it and be so excited to go and, and to be spending time with him, but a whole nother ball game when when it actually happened. Like in that moment when he shot, and like I said, it scared the crap out of me. I didn't know it was coming. And the turkey drops and I was so overcome with emotion. Like I just wanted him to have an opportunity. You know, that was my biggest thing. I wanted us to be in some action, have to be mm-hmm. able to see some turkeys. And if we got an opportunity, that was great. But um I wasn't going to let him shoot unless something came close. And the way that it worked out was, it was unreal, man. And I I still can't stop smiling, thinking about it. It's (laughs) it's been over a week now. So, yeah. And I want to, I want to continue moving with that goal setting. Cause like you, with the, the, what were some of the goals that you had to achieve when you were when you went on that elk hunt in Montana and before you were successful in harvesting that animal? You know, I guess a lot of the, the goals for me was I wanted to be not only mentally prepared, but physically prepared. So, I mean, elk hunting is pretty physically demanding, especially like if you do get one down. So I wanted to make sure I was in physical shape. I wanted to make sure I was in mental shape. So I had a lot of goals set that, you know, I wanted to be in shape, but I also wanted to, uh, to spend the time with my equipment, be confident in my equipment. It's fairly open country. So I knew that mm-hmm. that shots were typically not going to be much closer than 40 or 50 yards. So I wanted to be coming out okay. to 50, 60, 70 yards, which being a river bottom whitetail hunter back home in North Dakota and Montana, I hunt a lot of thick stuff. So, I mean, we were shooting, you know, everything was under 30 yards, you know, with our tree stand setups and to get out there in that more yeah. open country and and to realize that your typical shot's going to be 40, 50 yards or maybe even longer than that. I really had to set a goal to to spend a lot more time with my equipment and, and, you know, extend my range and make sure I was putting in that practice because it's one thing to have goals, but if you get out there and say, well, my goal is to shoot an elk and you get out there and you hadn't put any work in, you have practice and you're not prepared for it and you get that opportunity and you blow it because you weren't prepared. Like that's, that's a pretty big letdown and, and pretty frustrating. So. Uh, that was one of my goals. Obviously, the money end of things had to work. Had to <laughs> had to put some money away, so I had you know money for the tag number one, which is not cheap. When I was you know just out of high school, um, mm-hmm. a combo tag over there's I think it was twelve or thirteen hundred bucks at the time. Um, Holy buckets! Yeah. So obviously, I had to I had to get all that squared away and, and get my vacation and stuff set aside, but. Yeah, I mean, I just have a lot of individual goals, mostly pertaining to physical, being in physical shape to do it uh, and having my equipment ready. So if that longer shot presented itself, that I was going to be able to make it count. And thankfully, I was able to. And that's still one of the highlights of my hunting career, personally, anyways, because next to your son's turkey, (laughs) next to my son's turkey. Yes. Yeah. that's great. And like, I think another one that you kind of get inspired thought of is, is dreaming. Cause it's like, you, you never let your dream die. Yeah. And the biggest thing is like, I've learned is like, you, you, in order to live your dream, you got to think about your dream every day and, and put things in, in your, in your eyesight that allows you to continue hitting there. Like I, I have a, a Matthews hat just staring at me. I have some Magpul uh, magazines, stuff like that to let me know. Like I, I have these goals to hit. So this way, then once I do get them, it's like, it's, it's a check mark that I, that I, I can be able to, hit that that's the 
thing that's like it's that discipline of being able to do it, not listen to anybody else. Because yeah. it's like I don't, I don't know. Once you get to a certain point, I mean, you don't care. You don't care what other people say, but it's like trying to avoid that negativity in your life is a tough thing to do because it's like you you want to have friends and family, yeah. and some of them are just very mean and or don't see the inspiration behind it because it's like just because you got that elk well now it's like you you've learned time management you learn how to budget your money and you learn how to maintain your health yeah that's the biggest thing that we don't we gotta we gotta, we gotta remember as a hunter we gotta maintain our health yeah. because we don't want to be sick during the rut we don't want to be sick in september <laughs> you know it's like we, that's something that it's like we really pay attention to oh absolutely and yeah you touched on a couple things there that that i totally agree with and, um Goal setting's huge. Taking care of yourself is huge. And, you know, there's there's so many parts about being a hunter that people who don't do it and, and aren't actively involved in it, they just don't see from the outside. And I think a few of those are great points. I mean, being able to set goals, take care of yourself, money management, all that stuff. I mean, that all ties into to chasing that dream. And ever since I graduated high school and college, uh, I worked in the sporting goods stores. I mean, I was around hunting, fishing constantly, you know, as, as much yeah. time as I could spend physically and in the outdoors chasing critters around. And, and like you said, the other, the other part of it is family and friends. I mean, there's not a better way to bond or spend time with family and friends, in my opinion, than oh, very true. Together. you know, the memories made are, are, are absolutely priceless. And, um, it's just a really fun experience. And, for me, it's it's a lifestyle. It's a family tradition. It's something that I hope my son passes on to his kids someday. It's it's just something that that really ties us all together. Even Christmas, Thanksgiving, you name it, when we're all sitting together at the table as a family, I mean, we're swapping hunting stories and, and planning our next mm -hmm. one, or sharing pictures, or or doing whatever. And it's just a it's a really fun experience to share with family and friends. I it's it's something that I've. I, I like following along with Randy Newberg's philosophy. It's like you run out of you run out of health before you run out of mel yeah. or uh, wealth. And so when you put that in perspective, though, it's like it's like I want to take to my grave memories. Yes. It's like that's something that's a big goal of mine right there. It's like I have I have thirty to forty years to live. Knock on what I don't I don't have, something bad happens to me. But the idea of that is being able to like when I'm sitting around and talking to people that are doing nothing at in an old folks home. It's like and then you look at them. It's like you really didn't do a lot. All you did was worked on maintaining a life but never actually living a life and it's like i think that's one of the biggest things i like i think we instill from my father's because he's lived a really interesting life he's not the wealthiest man but he's got a very rich life yeah. and that i think that's even more wealthy than having a million bucks in the in the bank even though it would be nice but then again it's like you have to figure out what's what your priorities are yeah no and that's something that i that i said from day one too is uh i probably won't die with a whole lot of money but i mean I'll have a heck of a, a, a trophy room and, and stuff like that where I can sit down and I can look at all the deer and, you know, talk about all the stories, you know, relive all the memories and the hunts that, that I went on with my dad and I went on with my son and, and that sort of thing is I'm with you, man. Life's it's not promised that you work 40 years and you, you make a bunch of money and then you get to just go off and do whatever you want. I mean, nothing, we're not promised tomorrow. So uh, I've, always yes. been, I've always been of the mindset to, to live for today and not be reckless with it. Of course, you know, you still need to have money to live and provide a, a good, stable life for, for you and your family. But I'm, I'm all about enjoying life as much as you can while you're younger and able to do it. The Tetra was the first site that we introduced the infinite adjust system on the front end. With previous sites, we had what we call a hopscotch or plug-and-play type of scope housing where you had to bolt the scope housing to the frame to find the correct location. The Tetra changed that with the infinite adjust system. So now, when you site in your 20-yard mark, you can really fine-tune by sliding the whole scope housing up and down in this channel system. That's probably one of the biggest features to the Tetra. Another key feature of the Tetra is Ninja Star yardage wheel. Getting a better hold on the yardage wheel, especially when you're hunting and you have heavier gloves on. The Tetra does have 100 yard capabilities with the yardage tape, and that's to the yard. 
A couple other key features of the Tetra is you get both third and second axis for even more precision. But one of the key features as far as looks goes is we've updated the front end or the housing of the Tetra. So now you have a brighter, larger uh, scope ring which helps with peep alignment as well as a built-in scope level which is just more secure. The Tetra is available in a fixed frame bracket with, with three different mounting locations as well as a dovetail or tournament edition uh, so you can adjust the distance that the scope housing is away from your bow and the Tetra is also available in three different scope housing sizes. You get an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarter, as well as a new four pin multiple pin head. All the heads are interchangeable. All the Tetras are compatible with any of our accessories. For more information, you can visit our website at www.hhasports.com. Yes, yes. And um, surrounding yourself with influential people, you know, it's like learning how to trim the fat. That is a lesson learned that's that's very yeah. difficult because it's like you want to be around your friends, but it's like if they're not making moves like you are, like you want to be doing, it's like you, then that's where you learn to cut ties with people. I mean, there's there's hundreds of people that I'm just like, nope, I'm done with you. It's like I don't want to deal with your crap. I, it's like it's not like I, I don't yeah. I, I like you, but it's like you're not moving forward. We're, we're not able to share the same vision in a sense, you know. And like right now, I've, I'm surrounding myself with friends of mine that are that are working on building multiple streams of income, and it's like whether it be crypto. Yeah. Uh, uh, stocks, bonds, um, uh, compound interest, and stuff like that. And so there's like you, you start learning about all those things. Well, now it's like then it's like a start. Like this sounds really interesting. This is something I could do. It may, it, I may not be able to hit it today, but I can hit that in 20 years. And like a Gary V, like Gary yeah. V said, it's like you're gonna live multiple lives. It's like I'm 36 now, and I I'm, I could have 40 more years. That's 20 more years or 20 uh, sets of years and increments. And, to, and like I can achieve so much more. Because you put it in perspective, is like you look at Jeff Bezos. It's like it took him thirty five years to grow <laughs> Amazon, thirty five years of losing a lot of stuff, yeah. and then that he achieved something. And so that's one thing you got to really put into perspective. Is you like if you if you don't have to you don't have to make billions, but it's like it, you have time to do that. And so and it's all about like yeah. you said, like we like we discussed. The biggest thing is our health and mental health. And those goals is like where we go for yeah. it's like, but it's like our goal. My goal is to learn something new every day. It's like okay, well, I found out that a couple of days ago that you can actually have open up savings accounts that have a higher yield in cryptocurrency than they do in banks because banks are not there. Banks are not there for you. They're they're for themselves. And so once you understand that, then you oh. start figuring like, well, I really don't want to do a whole lot of business with you. And you let me look at houses. Like, well, that's just a product that the banks need, so that's why they can make interest off you. And so I said, like, well, what do, what, what do you do to really prioritize yourself? And so it's all the stumbles that we go through that really help us educate our youth. And there's some people like myself that's absolutely a moron and it had to do be stubborn and instead of listening <laughs> and taking the information. And I just, it's like, you know, it's like, well, you know, it's like, it's all about timing in a person's life. It's like kind of like with, uh, with uh, relationships, children, you, you, you never, you never expect them but they're just there. Like I never expected to marry my wife. And it's like, yeah. I was, I was not, like most of my family ever thought I thought I was never going to get married. And now I two years happily married. So, you know, it's one step at a time. You never know what the, what the yeah. door is going to bring. It's like you open up and it's like, cool. Let's see what happens now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Roll the punches and keep adapting and, and improving. And that's what it's all about. But I, I told I couldn't agree more with the, the the point you touched on about surrounding yourself with like-minded people and i tell everybody that man the one thing i learned is the older i get the smaller my circle gets i mean that's it's crazy to, to look back at high school and college and it seemed like you had a million friends you know and, and now as i get older i have such a small tight-knit group of you know positive influence people that i know would always have my back no matter what and they're like-minded they're positive and and you just learn to kind of weed out the negativity, like you said, because life's too mm -hmm. short to to deal with that and to be surrounded by people who, who want to bring that negativity in and, and complain and, instead of doing something about it. Surrounding yourself with like-minded, positive people is huge. And that's that's something that's really helped me, you know, achieve and aspire to achieve more goals mm -hmm. in my life. Yeah, and it's like, like one of the goals I have is knowledge. It always... Because knowledge is something you, that has dividends that can produce residual income, and so it's like you just keep on reading. And it's like, well, what are the Robert Kiyosaki's reading? What besides writing their own books? You know, what are they reading to help them inspire them when they were younger and such? This way, then when they wrote a book, it's like, okay, well, this is I can now I understand 
their forethought of the whole process. And that's what we do. Like I pay attention to Ray Newberry. I listen to uh, Steve Rinald's podcast and um, uh, where yeah. to hunt podcast with Eric Clark, you know, like listen to these guys and they're all very inspirational. So it's like, it's fun to really uh, hang out with these people and actually get to meet them day to day. It's like, I have a podcast with the SmackDown outdoor got um, with Doug Gliverman here next week or May 4th. We're doing like, I'm not quite sure what that's going to be like, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be a round table of four different guys yeah. with different, different um, thoughts. But it's like, do you know how cool that is? Like I get to be part of a, a experience oh, yeah. like that. And that's why I like podcasting and meeting new people. Cause like collecting stories is a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's the biggest part that I enjoy about, you know, hunting in, in the outdoors is it meeting like-minded people in the outdoor industry that, that will have that same passion. You know, I get just as much excitement when somebody else tells me, a, you know, a story of their success or a close call or something like that. Swapping stories, whether it's over a campfire or at a gas station or wherever you meet somebody that's got the same passion for you. That's what it's all about to me. And especially in today's society, I mean, with social media and everything else, there's, there's a lot of people, even in the hunting industry or that are consider themselves to be hunters that, that just have a tough time being happy for other hunters when they're successful. And I mean, I'm the polar opposite. I mean, I'll be the first one to congratulate mm -hmm. somebody and, and pat you on the back. And to me, that's what it's all about. We're here to support each other and, and help each other become successful, share secrets and, and stuff like that on, on making each other better hunters or outdoorsmen. And I love sharing, I love teaching and I'm really fortunate to be able to, be now passing it on to younger generations yeah. and, and hopefully try to keep this hunting tradition alive because I know it kept me mm -hmm. out of trouble. I hope it does the same for my son. And it's, it's such a great way to, to spend, you know, the spare time that we have away from work yeah. and, and make memories, with friends and family. And it's just, I don't know, it's been a huge part of my life since the day I was born. And I wouldn't have oh, it any other way. Now, I don't know about you, but curiosity has always been a thing about myself that I've really like tried to like really flourish. And has that yeah. been a, a big thing for you? Like when you started from young to your, to your teenage years, to your twenties, to your thirties, like what was that? Has that, has that been a big impact for you, for your curiosity of different things? Yeah, it definitely has. And I can say that one thing that kind of separated me from a lot of other people, especially my age too, is always trying to think differently. You know, we hunt a lot of public land primarily out here in North Dakota. So if you did the same thing that, every other guy did that was hunting like you your chances of being successful weren't great so at a young age i was pretty inspired by like andre de Quisto and, and guys like that they were they were hunting outside of the box you know like the bump and dump you know where they would bump the deer and then go right in there and set up in his bedroom and just philosophies that uh the mainstream hunting industry wasn't really pushing so part of that i guess it probably ties into curiosity like hey i wonder if this would work or this sounds really stupid but I think this is stupid enough yeah. to work. Like we would be, we'd go in, like there's certain areas where we would know deer would bed in and then we would wait until like midnight or one in the morning and say, all right, we got an idea what tree, we got a tree picked out. Let's get in there, get a stand set up and then be back here before they come back in the morning. Like there's no scent, nothing until the first time they come in there. And, you know, a ton of first sits was always big for me too. Uh, I wanted to have as many first sits as I could. So I was bouncing around, like literally never would still never sit the same tree twice, hardly. And just kind of thinking outside the box, letting that curiosity run wild and doing stuff differently than other people was a big key to, you know, me being success successful when I kind of started off hunting. And even today, I still do some things that are a little unorthodox, mm -hmm. I guess, but it's all part of the, part of the fun. Yeah, like you mentioned uh bump and dump and it's like i never thought about that it's like going into going finding yeah. a bed then all of there's like well, i'm just plop right down here because in his mind it's like well <laughs> yeah. maybe he's gone but it's like it all comes down to your center yeah. control it's like i've been in there too and it's like all of a sudden i see a deer come back and it's like oh well hello how are you i'm gonna kill you now yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i they were kind of the originators of some of those wacky ideas and riding bikes and, you know all that sort of thing and i as somebody younger and i was pretty impressionable like Dan Infault too, he was, he was with those guys and man, some of their, their tactics and their ideas. I mean, I kind of took them and, and ran and, and did, you know, started implementing some of that into my hunting style. And a lot of guys out here, when you're hunting public land and you're successful, you know, several years in a row or you have consistent success, they're always kind of like, well, what is that guy doing? You know, and to me, it was always just, I 
I wanted to hunt different than everybody else, you know? Yeah, exactly. And you may not think about it, but you're actually hunting the same way like Dan Infold does. Because, like, I have not got to meet the man yet, but yeah. it's like he's a he's a local here in Wisconsin. He's a legend, you know? Yeah. Everybody knows Dan Infold because just because of his attitude, it's like he's just like, fuck it, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. T- I'm gonna just go try it out. And <laughs> yeah. he's got bucks for yeah. the last 30 years in all weird places. So it's like oh. you got to admire the man's ambition. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's no deer that he doesn't think he – he would get beat by and i love that attitude you know like having that confidence and and being able to to put that confidence to work and say hey this is crazy but this is what i want to try and i'm going to get it done and i mean some of his stories about puking on the way to the stand (laughs) and hunting in the rain and you know doing stuff that you just know the average guy wasn't willing to do and you look at his trophy room and all the deer that he's killed and that's why because he was willing to do the things that others weren't I really admired that and try to incorporate that in, into my hunting style as much. I think as there's I another guy that's a little, little under under the radar too. His name's Paul Corn. He lives up in Hudson, Wisconsin. He runs a, a A1 archery, and I, his, his if you look for him online, he's got a, a huge following when it comes down. To, but it's kind of under the radar. But it's like his trophy room is huge, and he he he, yeah. he had created a business here years ago and sold it, and it just blossomed into something where it's like his he's got like a really like a, a small apartment is his trophy room. He's got this massive giraffe. He's got all kinds of unique things traveling the world. He's, it's like, he's just really uh, met some really influential people. And I met the guy. This, this guy is cool. He's, he's really nice, really humble. He's willing to t- sit down and talk to you. I think he's just, he's a all around kind of person. Like just likes sharing his knowledge, especially like, I think he's got four or five grand slams, if not more for turkeys. Yeah. Those are the kind of people that you definitely want to, leech as much information off of as you can and that's the cool part to me is even after all that success and you know there's some guys out there that uh want to keep everything to themselves those guys being willing to share that information to me that's that's the coolest part yeah, of that's, our, that's our is them that's our curiosity others. coming out yeah yeah them wanting others to be successful i mean that's to me that's what it's all about like i don't i won't ever claim to be uh the greatest hunter around or even a great hunter but if there's anything that I can give from my personal experience that helps somebody else be successful, like I'm all about it. Like I don't have anything to hide. I want to see other people successful. And that's just as much fun for me to see somebody else take an animal as it is for me to yeah. do it on. Envy and jealousy are, are very toxic emotions. And if you don't put that in check, yes. it will, it will just de- destroy your relationships with people. And that was something that I didn't really yep. like, I didn't have that issue when I was in high school, but it's like, as I got in my mid twenties, I had a, couple of things that really created some jealousy and it's like i really sat down and dwelled on it. it's like why am i feeling why do i care so much and it's like yeah. i need to stop this because it's like you can feel the toxicity running through your body but i think what it comes down to is our yeah. determination i think that's a really key aspect and especially for when we're starting school because in order for i don't know about you but in order for me to get out outside and do some fishing or do some hunting or, or playing video games or doing whatever i had to get my stuff done I think the determination is like yeah. next to that. It's like just setting your setting your mind to it and and not letting things get in your way. Hello, we're at the 2020 ATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran Four Blade. As you can see, four blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we use with our original two-blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay? Those compress, and then the broadhead opens still has our momentum management compressible blade technology so the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed Uh, in flight it's one inch by inch and a quarter another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like so swap the tip out get you 125 grains instead of 100 which is big with those western hunters and then it's really simple to lock back in place roll those blades up and then it's a click and another click on the other side it's completely set in will not prematurely deploy will not rattle free solid containment 100 percent deployment every time so we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time so that's what's new for vip this year Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's, you're right. They, those are toxic traits. And unfortunately, some people can't get rid of them, but I think a lot of it comes back to 
like you said, determination and, and self-confidence is a big thing too. Like knowing that, yeah, that, that other guy, he, he was successful. He killed a nice deer or this or that. And, uh, but you have to be confident in yourself to, to be able to still have the motivation to chase your own dreams and your own goals and, and to keep after it, not just quit and say, well, some people just get lucky, you know, well, yeah, maybe that's the case, but I want to go out there and I want to create my own luck. I don't want anybody to be able to sit back and say, well, that guy, you know, he's just lucky. Oh, no, no that guy, like, there's a lot more to it. 365 days a year revolving his life around hunting. And I mean, nobody sees you, you grinding it out. And that was the hardest part for me, especially at a younger age, uh, getting a little notoriety and stuff and killing some nice deer was, it was hard for me to, to hear that, that chatter that, you know, that guy's lucky, you know, that was, that was like the, the word that, that just ate me up the most is people saying, Oh, it must be nice. Or it must be nice to be that lucky. And I'm like, you have no idea like what I went through to, to make this a possibility, you know, like you have no idea that the amount of hours I put in and the time I put in uh, to be quote unquote lucky year after year after year. I was like, that's not what's going on here. You know, like people didn't, they didn't understand the struggle and, and the grind that went into it. And as I got older and I matured, like that doesn't bother me anymore. Like if somebody tells me that I'm lucky, I'm like, yep, I'm super lucky. You know, like I'm super lucky to spend as much time as I do. I'm lucky that I've had all the opportunities yes. I have. And I don't need to explain that they were the result of hard work and stuff because the, the guys that their, their opinion really matters to me, they know. You know, the close friends and family, they know they've seen it. They, they've seen all the work put in. Uh, yeah, I guess that was part of my maturing process was letting go of some of that chatter from from guys that uh, maybe couldn't be happy for you or had that envy or jealousy. And, and to let that not bother me or, or reduce my love for the sport, because I love doing it, man. I'm, I love hunting. I love yeah. fishing. I love being outside. And I don't ever want somebody to have the ability to take that joy that I get from it away from me. You know, it's too important to me for that. hundred percent. Now, as for us, like, as we get older, it's like we start paying attention to what's going on in Washington and such. And it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a scary situation because like Minnesota's going through some issues right there. They're trying to, uh, uh, ban a few things. And it's like, you know, it's like, the, it's, it's once you start paying attention, when you, once you really, once you really wake up and see what's really going on, it's like, it's really, uh, frustrating. So it's like, we, we, as a group, we have to unite, even if you don't hunt in Minnesota, like my friend, uh, uh Doug from the SmackDown Outdoors podcast, he put on there on his website where you can read how you can reach out to their phone numbers or emails, of course. And this way it's like, we have to all work together. So this way it's like, if I want to go out to Wyoming, I need to, I need to, uh, step up and say something or go to Nebraska or go, or go to That's Iowa. It's like we can't have these people that are just trying to do don't understand the consequences of their actions. No, and that's that's a scary thing. Like I said, I it scares me really even more for for like my son and, and the next generations. Like what between now and when they're our age, like just you know, it, it's terrifying to to see or to to try to think of what could be different between now mm -hmm. and then. You know, it's so much has changed since we were kids. You know, and in uh litigation and, and all the laws are trying to push and stuff they're trying to ban and, um the, the shaming of you know hunters and stuff like that with social media and it's just it's a tough thing to see and man it, i just hope that this tradition never dies because it's it's such a great tradition and and to to think of the possibility of of not growing up the way that I did or having all these opportunities and spending so much time in the outdoors like I don't know what yeah, I Yeah exactly it's, it's I think it's the appreciation we have cuz like listening to my dad and his friends they're in their late 60s early 70s now but it's like when they didn't have the opportunities that we did like a 200 buck was a 200 cl yeah. uh, class buck was rare it, I mean it was a mythic rare it's like you couldn't find yeah. one of those and now it's like there's people out there shooting them year after year because of the proper deer management yeah. but our appreciation has to come from the previous generation they're the ones from that created the Pittman Robertson Act that they put in the sacrifice to maintain the growth over the years you know because it's like we 
because of um, market hunting really did a big damper. Now it's like we're literally in the golden age of everything, except for elk. Elk is a little, yeah. it's, 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 it's really highly competitive, but you know, we have hunting season. Yeah. Last year was the inaugural season for Missouri. Congratulations to them. Uh, the uh, Wisconsin's yeah. on their third year, and then you got Kentucky, then you have Pennsylvania. I think, I think there's some, one yeah. of the Carolinas are, are, are rebuilding a herd. You know, you, you have most of the Midwest. You know, you mean, heck, you, like you said, you even got a once a lifetime draw it, uh, for elk in North Dakota. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. like, just think yeah, 40 to 50 years ago, that was never a thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's pretty amazing to see what hunters have done for the outdoor industry and for uh, wildlife in general. I mean, they're the ones that are, that are given the proper management, making sure that it's a sustainable resource that future generations are going to have. Exactly. The only one I wish we could we could restore the landscape here in, in, in North America is the caribou. But our uh, our highway yeah. system put a stop to that because it's like once the highways came through, it, then the migration pattern just stopped. And so yeah. it's like I feel yeah. I'm, I'm glad Canada and Alaska has an opportunity. But when you listen to Justin Trudeau and what he's doing to the, that that culture in itself for subsistence living, man, they are not doing. They're not faring very well. Yeah. Yeah. That's. They're they're such a cool animal too. That's that's definitely an animal on my bucket list. I'd love to get up there and chase sometime. No kidding. I think that would be a fantastic thing to do and figure out how to get in, like fear like I think the way that a lot of people recommend doing is like getting in touch with an outfitter when you go up to Alaska. But I think yeah. in Alaska you have to have an outfitter just because it is extremely yeah. dangerous unless you was to have some type of a uh, experience level or someone it, it's 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 a law that i obviously i don't know enough about to find out like but it's like it's the curiosity I me mean, that wants to find out but right now my income level doesn't let, dictate that i can make it there yeah i'm right there with you i know ken because it can be quite expensive it's like i had a buddy of mine last year went to colorado yeah. and he, it cost him like 7500 bucks for the the time the 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 cost of the guide, because in Wyoming you have to have a guide, and or you have to know a resident or relative and stuff like that. Then you have to pay for like well, obviously the tag and the gas and the food and the uh, and the lodging out there. So that really adds up. But I tell you what, though, you said I'll, I, I'll never trade it for anything else. You know, it's like you got a three hundred twenty class bull, and it's like I, you know, it's like oh. in the, this is, he got something rather than nothing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And. Yeah, if that was one of his goals to get an elk, especially a nice one like that, I mean, it's really truly priceless. Yeah, exactly, because that that memory is gonna be able to hold hold entire life, and his son is is walking right down the same path he is. It's like he's gonna get out there, he's gonna get himself a yeah. bow, he's gonna get himself a gun, and he's gonna build an arsenal and go from there. It's like because I think his, his they both have a really good work ethic towards that. It's it's amazing what all the different things we've touched upon that like it really relates to anybody that when it comes down to any type of goal, whether you be a fisherman, a hunter, or an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Setting goals and, and chasing them, man. Putting in the hard work, and like you said, when he's he's got a great role model to look up to. His dad, you know, had those goals and, and made it a, a reality. I mean, that's that's something pretty awesome for a kid to be able to look up to, and and you know, gain those same traits. And you know, as a as a child, you know, watched my dad set goals and, and work hard, and and then when he had the opportunity to get out in the outdoors, he was always taking us with, and that's something that. That's really big too, because he didn't have to take us with. I mean, when he was off work, he could have just went by himself and had a better chance of being successful killing an animal. But for him to want to share that experience with us was something I'll never forget. And, and to me now, I, I, don't get me wrong, I like killing big animals just as much as the next guy. But last year, I had my son with me when I shot an antelope. I shot a deer. Uh, I actually shot three deer, a really nice buck and two yeah. does. And then a turkey, all all when he was two years old, and ha that experience of having him with me during those mm -hmm. moments trumped the fact that if the animal could have been twice as big, like just having him there and, and seeing his reactions and how excited he was, he's got a lot of confidence in me because every time I release an arrow or I or I shoot the gun or anything like that, he he always looks at me and goes, "Did you got him, Dad? You got him." Like he just like expects that when the gun goes off or the arrow takes off that daddy hit him, you know, like dad make it, made a good shot. He's always so excited that the video of that deer that I shot last year, it's, it's so hilarious because 
he's got his earmuffs on and I shoot and I hit the deer and I turn to him. I go, I got him. He's like, you got him dad. And he starts patting me on the back at two years old. And, he, and he's patting me on the back and he's going, good job, dad. Good job. Oh, that's awesome. And then after, you know, I'm sitting there holding the rag after we recovered him and counting all the points, he had 18 points. And I go 18 wow. points. And he goes, Oh dad. And he turns and he puts his hand up to high five. And I'm like two years old. Like he, he already knows like the celebration and, and how exciting it is and to be able to, to share those moments. And when he gets older to be able to watch some of those videos back, I mean, that's absolutely priceless to see him at two years old and what he was doing and how he had an understanding of everything and how he had the patience to, to sit in the blind with two heaters going when it was 10 degrees outside and, you know, stuff like that and putting in the work that it's going to be pretty special to be able to look back on those when it gets a little yeah, older. Exactly. And especially all the preparation that you, that you had to do. Cause like yeah. you just said two heaters at 10 below or at 10, 10 degrees outside. Like that's a yeah. lot of prep to get everything from there to yeah. the ground blind and, and balance everything out. And then also you have to yeah. make sure you don't forget your release and don't forget your, your, your ammunition or your primer or whatever exactly the fire. It's like that preparation I think is one of the, one of the biggest things that really go into it. Cause like we really put a thought process into what, what goes into our truck, what goes into our bag, what goes into, our, our our breakdown kit so it's like we make sure everything's ready to rock and roll it's like and like i always have extra batteries for our headlamps i have extra hot hands so my feet stay yeah. warm my hands stay warm and then i also make sure i have a knife sharpener with me so when things go down it's like it's go time i'm not like son of a gun i have to yeah. go back like there's been a couple times where i get too excited and i forget my release it happened to me early this year <laughs> where i had a doe walk right out in front of me and guess where my my range yeah. finder was in my truck 30 yards away. It's like, great. Cause it's like, I was, it was great. I got there late and said, like, well, I'm just going to set up real fast, real fast on this edge. My truck was parked off the site cause the deer really pay attention to when, when the, when it starts getting cooler outside. And, uh, I missed this deer clear over its back, but it's like, you know, I felt better that I missed it than actually wounding it. Yeah, absolutely. And I tell you what, one thing that I learned real quick is bringing my son with me. Um, I carry a lot of stuff as it is when I'm hunting because I carry all my camera equipment, my weapon, you know, extra clothes. Like you said, all the little, little things that you bring to you. And when I started bringing him, then it was, now I got to bring two chairs to the ground blind. And now I got to bring a bunch of toys. And now I got to bring juice and I got to bring snacks and I got to bring, you know, all this other stuff and extra clothes. And like, I, I usually tough it out. I don't bring a heater to the blind, but he was with me. We, he set the ground blind up with me. We hauled two heaters in. I mean, we're talking like four or five trips to get all the gear in and out of the blind every yeah. every time. And, and then uh, he's trucking along back there with his uh, Elmer Fudd hat on and his big puffy jacket. <laughs> I mean, he's such a trooper, but man, it 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 doubled or tripled the amount of stuff that I got to lug in and out. Even turkey hunting this year, same thing. He set the blind up with me. He set the decoys out. And after he shot his bird, it took four trips to get all the gear back to the truck. I mean, the ground blind, the decoys, um, his, his gun, the turkey, I mean, you name it, all the crap we had there. It took four trips to get all that stuff in and out of there. So, yeah, the picture of him and I sitting next to a turkey is pretty cool. And everybody's like, oh, that's awesome. You know, he got one and blah, blah, blah. But they don't realize that him and I were lugging all this crap back and forth. Nobody sees that part. Yeah, exactly. You know? Like the, the hard work and the dedication that you got to put into to making it a, a possibility in the first mm -hmm. place. I think next uh, this uh, the, as uh, the next hunt. I think what you got to do when you when you set up for the next hunt, you got with your son. You should actually set the GoPro up, and you should just set it in one spot where you just <laughs> you're just constantly walking back and forth and stuff like that. Oh, stuff yeah. comes in, stuff goes out. So it really builds like the really the the discipline you have to have to have all this stuff out there. Now, um, as I've gotten older, I've picked like hunting in the Midwest. You don't I don't have the public land access like you do, so we have to pick and choose where we set and stuff like that. So now it's like when I scope out land and such i pay attention to how i can get in get out and so on what's some of the easiest way to do it but um i don't like i'm not carrying as much gear as you are obviously but uh what about bring getting one of those collapsible uh wagons we would like to just take a second to help you make the final decision on your new kydex holster we the people offers all american made holsters designed for everyday carry whether it's inside the waistband or outside these holsters are made with quality and don't break your bank like other high-end holster companies and plus they offer free shipping on all orders in the usa so go have a look and while you're at it check out what else they have to offer merch link in bio i actually have like a utility card that that i probably should use more than i do and I bought it specifically for an elk hunt a few years ago. It was a, they call it a shoulder season, like a damage hunt out in Montana. Okay. And 
it's basically this private ranch that allowed you to shoot a cow elk with your general okay. elk tag uh, during special late season hunt. But the caveat to that was the only thing you could leave behind was the gut pile. You couldn't leave the rib cage. You couldn't leave any bones. You couldn't leave the hide, the head, nothing. Like you had to take the entire elk off the property. Mm-hmm. So I bought it for that purpose. And I was by myself and I ended up killing a, a, a big cow about a mile off the a mile from the pickup. And it took me a couple of trips to get it out with that wagon, but I got a, a stone glacier, uh, pack frame that I, I want to say it's a 6,500 cubic inch pack. That's huge. And it's got lots of, lots of straps and stuff on the outside. So it's pretty funny, but I did set my camera up for that turkey on after, after he shot the bird. So I set it up at kind of a distance so you can see us running around, picking up decoys and strapping everything to the pack and, and coming and going it. And in fast motion, it looks pretty funny. All the stuff that we got to organize and oh, get out true. of it. And so, but now it's like, I'm only hunting by myself. What if, if, I was, if I was still hunting on uh, was one piece of property with my wife, it's like, I would definitely be bringing wagons this way. Then I just have stuff for, yeah. we, the biggest thing is like being able to have everything condensed, but having the ground blind. Cause she's not a tree stand. She's not a tree stand person. And I've gotten, I like, I don't care. I'm pretty either or, but it all depends on like what I think is a good spot, paying attention to your sign, the rubs, the beds and stuff like that. Cause sometimes it's like somebody's just walking right in there and you have sometimes just a better luck. It's a little more intense. Cause it's like, they see you, they see, you see them. It's like, what's <laughs> going to happen next here. But, uh, I wanted to bring up a good website that I, that I like to, uh, check out. It's called, yeah camofire.com and it's known for having yeah. deals really good deals for like mystery uh mystery ranch packs and those ones right there are yeah. the cadillac of packs as far as in, i mean don't get me wrong there's oh, a yeah. lot of good packs out there but they tend to have consistently deals with 60 like really big ones so it's like well i haven't had a need to get a like get something like that because it's like well if one that day comes maybe we'll figure that out so yeah no i've i've bought a lot of stuff off camo oh, okay. over the years i actually just bought a bino harness off there a couple of weeks ago um uh, that i really like it's i've used a lot of different bino harnesses but um uh, it's this one's it's phenomenal and yeah they have some pretty awesome deals on there a lot of a lot of pack frames like you said the first one i ever bought was a badlands i don't know it was a black street guide gear and this was probably a decade ago i bought one off camel fire but I got the app on my phone and it gets a gets a good look over about once a day. So. <laughs> I, it's if, if, if you do, the best time to do it is like right when it turns over to the next days this way. But that's like a yeah. Well, it's, well, for you it's the same time zone. For me, it's like I'm an hour ahead, so it's like yeah. well, I gotta wait for it to catch up to me. But uh, yeah, it's it's a really good asset to have, and I think the um, the guy that created I can't remember his name, but he's been on like Where to Hunt podcast and a few other ones, and he just came up with it. It's just an algorithm that pulls the best deals all across the the interwebs and puts them on the website. So this way, then you anybody that's on a budget can find decent gear without breaking the bank. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's a great setup. And like I said, I have a lot of buddies that use it too, and we've uh, we've wore that app out over the years buying stuff because I'm a sucker for a good deal. And, and something pops up that you're looking for, it's pretty hard to not pull the trigger. Yeah, exactly. Off. And you never know what, what week's going to come because it's like one day it'll be all strictly knives, next yeah. day it'll be all uh, cameras, and it's like then it's stuff for regarding uh, uh, odds and ends of the accessories that you need for you. So it's like you never know what you're going to open up to the next day, which is always nice because sometimes you can find some really good shoes in there, especially if you're looking for a new pair of boots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think we've, we've, we've hit on a really a lot of solid uh, uh, attributes that I think we all really, truly value. So out of all the things we've covered over the last hour, I mean, we, we just hit an hour here. What is your favorite attribute that, that did, was instilled at an early age and that you've been able to maintain to, to the present day? Man, I, it's, it's tough to pick one, but I, I'd probably just say the, the tradition of it. I don't know that that's really an attribute that I gain, but um, maybe it, maybe appreciation, okay. you know, um, patience is another big one, but just, just the appreciation for, for the time we're allowed to spend out there, especially with friends and family. Like I said, to me, that's always going to be the biggest one for me is, is it's never about, you know, filling your tag or anything like that, but the memories that I've made with my dad and, and already with my son, like to me, that, that is the absolute pinnacle of, of why I do what I do and why I love the outdoors so much is being able to share and make those memories together with, and with the most important people in my life. And it's something that I hope to, uh, to be doing for a long, long time. And 
I look forward to the day that we do the the reversal and, and my son's taking me out. It's no longer me taking him out. You know, that's, that's going to be a pretty special experience too, to see, a, see him grow as a hunter and, and grow all these different attributes that I was passed, that was passed on to me from my yeah. dad, you know, the patience and the respect and the determination and the hard work and dedication, all that stuff that it requires to be successful. And I'm just super excited to watch my, watch my son grow up and, in this sort of lifestyle and he's already he's already making me pretty dang proud so excellent i'm, I'm really happy for you man it's like i couldn't be any happier because like seeing your son's face with like all the all the pictures you've been able to post but i think what we, i think just on the final note here is like why don't you start the season and talk about your what you did to help prep your son to get prepared and stuff like we talked about the firearm and stuff like that why don't we talk yes. about like well what range did you practice him with what what did you do to help him feel comfortable with the impact or the the uh the blowback of the firearm like and then all the way up to the hunt then then we then yeah. sprinkle in the upcoming hunt like what you could plan on going with that one too yeah well it like I said, it's kind of started last year with him coming into the ground blind quite a bit with me to, to learn the the patience and, and kind of how it all works. You know, that t definitely tied into this year's hunt too, but uh, it started off, you know, uh, with, with his Nerf guns. So at home, you know, I, I made it a point. I, I talked to his, his mother about this too, that, you know, Hey, when he has Nerf guns, you know, this, please make sure that he's not pointing them at people. You know, he treats it like it's an actual firearm. So he's not allowed to have, you know, like Nerf gun wars. I mean, he's, he, he realizes because at that young age, I was afraid that there wouldn't be that separation from, well, this is a toy. So this is a toy, ah, okay. you know, so I wanted to that using his Nerf guns and stuff like that, that I, I actually bought a bunch of turkey targets and I, I taped one up in my apartment and I said, look, buddy, I said, you want to shoot your Nerf guns? I said, you got to shoot at this. You don't get to shoot it at dad. You don't get to shoot it at other people because I wanted him to know that I didn't want there to be a, a distinction between, well, this is a toy and this isn't a toy. I wanted them to practice that same level of uh, respect and stuff with, with any type of thing that even mm -hmm. looked like a gun. So I started there. And obviously, like I said, February, March, uh, super cold around here, tough to get outside and do a lot of practicing, but he, uh, he wore that Turkey target out in my apartment. I got a bunch of videos of him, you know, shooting at it with his different Nerf guns and, he, he knew right away, like when he shot and the bullet hit, he'd be like, oh, I missed. You know, he knew if he missed or if he hit it or if he made a good mm -hmm. shot or not. So that was pretty cool to see that part of it. And then uh, once we were able to get outside and start practicing with his shotgun, I have what's called a, a hog okay. saddle. So it's a tripod and then it's got a, a deal that sits on a ball head okay. on top and it clamps to the front. Right. So that's what we used for him to shoot. Cause like I said, it was a full size barrel and everything. I wanted it to still have decent yeah. range. And then I cut down the stock to fit him. So we clamp it in there and then I was able to hang some sandbags off of it. I wanted it to get essentially to the point where there wasn't hardly any felt recoil. Cause I knew that those first couple shots were the most important because if, if he pulled the trigger and it rocked him or, you know, it scared him that and it's tough to get him to come back. Yes. So uh, earmuffs were another vital important thing because the sound and the shot can kind of scare mm -hmm. him a little bit too. So I made sure that I shot the gun first. So he was, you know, close around. He had his, he was sitting with my dad actually at the time. I set the gun up. I said, this is what we're going to do. This is how you load it. This is what we do. And, and I shot it. So he knew what happened when the trigger was pulled and that this was the real deal. And then he sat up on my lap. And I had enough sandbags on there to when he shot, there wasn't a whole lot of felt recoil. And his first ever shot, he missed and he knew right away. He's like, daddy, I missed. And I was like, that's okay, buddy. You know, that's, that's what we're out here to do is practice. And, and we practiced right around that, you know, 15 yards was about as far as okay. we practiced. Uh, I, I just didn't want it. I didn't feel comfortable having him shoot any further. Than All right. That. So that's about the distance that we practice. And, you know, I set the decoys up actually a little closer just in case the birds did hang up on us. Um, so then what I did is the more and more we practiced and he got familiar with it, he, he was understanding things. He, he's turned into a great shot. I mean, he, he never, he never miss after he got a few shots under his okay. belt, but I just wanted to make sure we got that repetition in there. Then I started taking a little bit of the, the weight off from the uh -huh. sandbags all the way to the point that when we hunted, there was no sandbags on, on the okay. tripod and that allowed them to move the gun around a little mm -hmm. more freely. The same thing. 
he's sitting on my lap. I'm running the camera, doing all this other stuff. And we, uh, we get the birds to come running across this flat. And before I knew it, I mean, you blink and they were under 10 okay. yards. And I was like, holy cow. So I'm sitting there and I'm kind of whispering to him, but I don't think he can hear me because he's got his earmuffs yeah. on. And I watched him kind of look through the scope and, and kind of aim. And next thing I know, he, he uses two fingers to pull the trigger, you know, his tiny little finger. So he's got two of them shoved uh-huh. in there and he, he pulls on the trigger and boom, the bird hits oh. the ground. And I, man, I lost it. I couldn't believe it. It happened so fast. I didn't really have a time to react in the moment. But after it was all said and done, like I said, I, I was super emotional and I even get a little bit choked up now talking about it because he wanted it so yeah. dang bad ever since I, ever since he had turkey hunted with me the year before. And then when he found out he could get a tag, then he would always ask me, dad, where's my turkey tag? Is it turkey season yet? <laughs> you know, he was so yeah. apt up for this. And I'd say, no, it's not turkey season yet. And he's like, yeah, dad, it is turkey season. I was like, no, you got to wait. But he just wanted it so bad. And, and to see him put in all the effort and make sure he was capable yeah. of doing it and to, to set the ground blind up. And he, he came with me several times scouting too. I mean, I got video of us sitting in the truck scouting birds and birds all around us. And of course he, he wanted to shoot one and it wasn't season yet. I said, no, you just got to tell him we'll see you in a little bit with your shotgun. Yeah. So in a little squeaky voice, he's looking out his window of his car seat saying, I'll see you in a little bit, turkeys with my shotgun. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Some of the memories, man, they're, they're just priceless, but super, super proud of him, man. Um, can't wait to get out again. Actually, uh, like I said, uh, before we started, we're actually going to try to get out this weekend. He's got a second tag in okay. North Dakota. Uh, we're going to get out the next couple of days. And, and get some more ground blind set up in a different area where his, his other tag is at. And we're going to see if we can get a second one. The pressure's off now. Uh, he's got a bird. So, I mean, it's all it's all gravy at this point. So just hanging out together in a ground blind is going to be fun. And if we get another one, that's awesome. But if not, he's got one on the board. It's going to the taxidermist. You know, I'm putting the bill <laughs> for that one because it's his first ever animal. Uh, no, it's it's pretty exciting. And uh, definitely something I'm excited to put together as far as the video goes. And that'll be on my YouTube channel as well, Justin Piscajon Outdoors. Um, I'll definitely get that link sent to you too. So you can you can check out the video because it's got everything from scouting to preparation to, to the hunt and everything else. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty fun to put together. Man, that's, that's, I'm, I'm excited to see this video, man. I'm really looking forward to when it, when it does come out. And I'll put all, I will make sure it's in the show notes for this podcast so this way people can see it, man. And then it's like you just said, you, you, you gave a shout out for how to find your, your YouTube video, so, your YouTube channel. So yeah. that's pretty exciting. Uh, is there, was there anything else that you wanted to discuss before we call tonight? Uh, the only other thing is I got uh, a bunch of, you know, my personal videos and stuff and some of the hunts with my son and I are also on the Learning Curve Outdoor Web Series. They're on Carbon TV now as well as YouTube and Facebook. Nice. So you guys can find some of my stuff on there as well. And then Justin Piscajon Outdoors, it's just kind of my own personal thing where I put out some of, you know, my hunts. And there's going to be a lot of hunts from this past year of when Grayson was with me for the antelope and and the deer and everything else that, that I think people get kind of a kick out of watching. But my biggest thing is, man, you hear it all the time, but I'm going to hammer it home again, take a kid hunting. Let's get the, the next generation involved in the outdoors. Don't get so wrapped up in, in trying to just fill your own tag. I mean, this is something that it's way more fun with a friend or family mm-hmm. member and seeing the smile on, on the face of a, of a youngster that you take out hunting, even when you don't get something, just having a close encounter, I mean, getting their, their nerves going and, and getting that adrenaline yeah. pumping, they're just so, they're so jacked up about it and it gets them addicted to a very positive thing and, and keeps them out of trouble. So that's all I got for you, man. If you can get somebody out in the outdoors, especially the younger generation, or even a first timer, even if they're our age, I mean, getting somebody hooked on the outdoors, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Oh man, I, I can't top that. But folks, thank you for tuning in for another episode. Thank you, just for coming on. I mean, that was really awe inspiring for especially any new fathers. I appreciate you having me on. It was a lot of fun. You're very welcome.